what I've come to believe is that, you know, one can't send email to people unless you're adding value to their life. Mm. That is Billy Harker, the co-founder of the successful South African sports apparel brand, Funky Pants, sharing just some of the ways that he's built their family business from scratch, which is now challenging the likes of Nike in South Africa. In this episode, we hear just how he did it. Today, my guest is none other than Billy Harker. Uh, Billy Harker, just as an introduction... Billy, I don't know if I'm going to do this justice, but uh, Billy is an absolute legend in the South African life-saving and surf ski community. Um, he's been around for a very long time, and he's started events like the Surf Ski Series, where him and I met at one stage, uh, but has really been involved in South African canoeing and um, just really has elevated those sports in South Africa almost single-handedly. Uh, today, what... I want to chat to Billy about is his new business. Well, I don't know if it's new anymore, but his business called Funky Pants, which I'm sure you've seen if you've been running on the promenade or uh, out and about. So welcome, Billy Harker. Jonathan, thank you so much. It's great to be chatting with you. Yeah, so I think let's let's get into um, let's get into funky pants. And you know, the last time we really spoke was when you were involved with the surf ski series down in Cape Town. You were living in Cape Town. Since then, you've gotten married, had lots of children, moved to Durban. You were involved with uh, Tule South Africa for some time, uh, and yes. then you started Funky Pants. So just walk me through that story as to how you got between the two. Yeah, so it's actually a, it's a lovely story because uh, how it all happened when we were organizing paddling races, the Surf Ski Series, um, in South Africa, Durban, Cape Town, PE East London. Uh, we used to continuously make prizes um, for the events, and uh, my wife became frustrated with the people making the prizes, and she eventually started to basically get the kit made herself. And one of the products that she made was a pair of paddling tights, and um, the unique thing about the paddling tights is that the, they had two layers, an outer skin, which was a poly spandex lycra, and then an inner, which was a, the same fabric, but, um, but, but slightly softer on the body so that when you sit in the boat, the, uh, the outer layer doesn't, you, you don't get any chafe because right. of these two layers. That's so just what paddlers want. I remember those paddling pants, they, they used to be made of like a neoprene wetsuit material. That's correct. So in the Western Cape in particular, where we were, guys uh, preferred the, the neoprene shorts. But the problem was that they, they didn't move well in the boat and it restricted the, uh, the paddler's movement. And so they just preferred these double line shorts that we, that we made. At that stage, we only used to make them as prizes. We never sold any of them. And um, so anyway, so this went on for a few years. Tracy was making prizes and uh, we would always, there would always be a branded garment Men's Health would pay for some more, Powerade, Hunter, uh, New Balance, et cetera, et cetera. And um, anyway, so we, we never made them to sell. And then the one, the one season in Durban, we used to live half the year in Durban, half the year in Cape Town, and the products were, were made in Durban. And uh, she went to the manufacturer and saw some, some, you know, some brightly colored fabrics, sort of leftover stuff lying in the corner. And she said to the chap, you know, are these, is this the same fabric? that we make our paddling shorts out of. She said, yes. So he, he said to her, Tracy said to him, let's just make 20 colorful prints just for fun, and uh, we'll see if we can sell them when we, get, when we head back down to Cape Town. Anyway, so what happened is the chap actually made 200 pairs 
of these shorts. And uh, I went to pick up the box because, you know, I'll do all the running around and stuff. And I arrived home with this bag and Tracy, very, very upset with me, said, well, what on earth are you doing with 200 pairs of pants? I only asked for 20. So we went back to the manufacturer and we said, listen here, we'll take them down and look, we'll see what happened. You know, see how they go. And um, the what happened was, is that they were all different. They were all different pants. Wow. None of them were similar in any style, design, color. They were all different. And uh, when we took them down to, to Cape Town for the start of the, the paddling season, we, we hung these things up and we stood back in amazement as these pants just flew off the shelf. Wow. And the ones that we hated, poo brown, dark brown and light brown stripes, somebody walked over and went straight for those and bought them. Okay. And uh, that was basically the inception of Tracy's funky paddling pants. And how long ago was that? This was about, I would say about 2003, 2004. Okay. So that was when, and, uh, and then we didn't make them again for that season. Mm. When we came back to Durban again, then we, we made some more. And um, we sort of tripped along like this for about five or six years, just making a few for the paddling season. At that stage, they were only used for paddling. And then uh, what happened was the one year, we decided to take on a very difficult trail run. And uh, I always used to battle running in shorts because with trail running, you walk, you run, you walk, you run, and uh, the shorts, you land up sweating, and then they dry, and then you sweat again, and they dry. And I used to get uh, bad chafe between my legs, and it suddenly dawned on me that whenever I, I, I wear my paddling shorts, for example, doing the doozy where you in the water, then you run, mm. I never even considered my pants. And so I decided to actually run in my funky paddling pants. Mm. And uh, they were amazing. They didn't, I just got no chafe and I didn't even think about the pants that I was wearing. Yeah. Anyway, so we, we trained up for about five or six months. And, and in that time, we uh, attracted quite a bit of attention, obviously, because there was absolutely no other brightly colored tight pants being worn by anyone, mm. let alone, uh, you know, a, a paddler who does not look like a run at all. Obviously, um, I'm quite heavy set, and there I am sort of charging through the mountains with my ridiculously bright paddling pants. But knowing you, and, that's uh, totally you. It's just, uh, you know, people would expect that from Billy Harker, I think. <laughs> no, we, we, we loved it. It was an absolute hoot. People were shocked. I mean, they were never seen anything like this. They, you know, around the world, yeah. they did not exist. Yeah. We were... 10 years ahead of the market okay. in the world for brightly colored, double-lined, mm. lycra, paddling shorts in the running market. So then did you actively start marketing to runners? Yes. Yeah, so so in the, in the build-up to this race, we, it, it was called the Golden Gates Challenge. It's a three-day trail run in the, in the Golden Gates Mountain Reserve in, in the Orange Free State. And, and on, on, just as we were leaving, my wife Tracy said, hey, should we just take a rail with us? in case anybody wants to buy them. And um, so obviously we ran, our whole crew ran in them and then we obviously attracted a lot of attention. And then that evening we were sort of round the, round the brow fire, around the tents type of thing. And somebody who we were running with came past us and said, hey, you know, do you by any chance have any of those things with you? And we were a little bit sort of coy about it. We said, well, actually we, we did actually bring some with us and we took the rail out. Well, we sold every one of them. 
we sold every pair. By the time we left there, we had sold whatever we brought, 50 or 60 pairs of these things had been sold. And so on the third day, out of the 300 runners, about 100 people were running in funky pants. Hmm. Yeah, great marketing. Um, and I assume that that level of demand has carried on ever since. Well, you know, so at that time, we had uh, we'd actually, we no longer organized the, uh, the Surf Ski Paddling Series. We'd moved back to Durban to live here full time. And we, had, uh, we bought two Thule uh, retail outlet shops. And um, we also kind of, we had the funky pants in the shops as well. But what had happened is that the, I realized that as a, as a shop owner, I bought two shops that had staff. And I sort of thought there was, there was actually nothing for me to do inside the shops because I had two competent staff. And those stores, you know, they're not high volume stores. If you get 10 customers a day, it's a lot. Hmm. And, and uh, so I was just bored in the shop. So I thought, well, the only thing that I could do and the only thing that I knew about was eventing. And so I started to take the 2D products to between 40 and 50 events a year in KwaZulu-Natal. And then I started to take the Funky Pants along with me at the same time. You know, so we, we although Funky Pants wasn't a, a viable business in, in itself, it was kind of a sideline thing. Mm. We started to take it directly to the market where our customers were. And, and the, you know, it was, it was a massive mind shift for people. You've got to understand at the time, no one, there were no colorful Lycra pants. Mm. They did not exist in any form and certainly not in brightly colored prints and yeah. certainly absolutely no variety. You couldn't buy them. We were the only people that had brightly colored pants. And has that changed that now? Is, uh, have you got more competition? Have people caught on and uh, giving, you some, uh, giving you a bit of a run for your money now? Oh, no, absolutely. No, the horse has bolted. Um, no, 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 no. All the big brands have got uh, brightly colored uh, pants. Uh, there's, we do have lots of competition um, of people who are making um, brightly colored pants. Uh, they're not making what we, what we make. Um, and we, over a long time, over 15 years, we've come up with uh, a product which is incredibly comfortable to run in. Mm. They, don't, they don't ride up and they don't slip down. And because of that, you don't get any chafe. And we also have another unique differentiator in that our, our boys' cut pants is great for uh, women, you know, who are sort of beyond 35, into their 40s, where they want a bit of extra length. Mm. Um, and it just so happens that our it, it wasn't a plan. It just happened. So we can, uh, we can sell to the fit, to younger set, and they wear the ladies' cut. And then when they want to have something which is slightly longer, slightly higher in the waist, then they wear our boys' cut. So unique product. Um, styling, obviously, was important. But I think what's, as you say, it's this double-lined um, utility that you're kind of offering the market, which I think at that time and probably still today is, uh, you know, just a unique value that, that no one else can compete with. What I've also noticed, Billy, is that the branding itself of Funky Pants is quite unique. Um, you know, true to your form, I think you, you know, you, you've never taken yourself too seriously, but I, you know, I, I love the name. I love the way that you've actually just packaged the brand itself. Um, was that just, 
you know, are you just drawing on from your own personality or was this a, a conscious thing that you wanted to craft this different kind of brand uh, for Funky Pants? That first year when we made the pants, um, people used to ask us, are you bringing Tracy's Funky Pants? That's what they called them. Mm. We, we didn't come up with the name Funky Pants. People called them Tracy's Funky Pants. And uh, we then adopted the name. We said, well, let's drop the Tracy and just call them Funky Pants, and, uh, which is exactly what they are. So the name is self-evident. And, um, you know, a lot of our competitors have actually even been trying to use the name because it's very difficult to call them anything other than Funky Pants mm. because that's what they are yeah. type of thing. And, um, and so, yeah, the, the, the name was, was actually given to us by, by the consumer. And we adopted the name and we registered the name and the trademark. Um, obviously, you can't actually trademark the name Funky or the word Pants. Mm. But we have trademarked the, uh, you know, the logo with the words together yeah. as, a, as a trademark, a registered trademark. Okay. But, yeah, so in terms of uh, did, we, did we create it? No. We, we, we made – well, my wife Tracy decided to try making brightly colored shorts – the market called them funky pants, and I think where we were, you know, where we made a good choice was to just go with the name and not try and be too clever about it. Mm. We just called them what they were. Yeah. So now you are starting to uh, sell funky pants in other markets other than South Africa. How's that go? Um, so basically, through the uh, through the surf ski paddling uh, organisation that we that we were involved with for for uh, about eighteen years, and I was actually also first to market with. With the, in, within the, the international surf ski market. And we, we did a lot of traveling with, um, with the surf ski series and we used to take our pants abroad. We got into uh, about 10 or 12 countries through, through our paddling. Mm. And, um, and, and uh, obviously what's also happened is a lot of South African people have moved overseas and a lot of those people have actually taken funky pants to the inter international market. Mm. And so we're probably in about in about 15 countries now, but quite a strong, a stronger presence in paddling. But our actual main market is, uh, is the running market. Obviously it's a much bigger market. Yeah. Um, you know, paddling is our, is our core. That's, that's where we, st that's where we, the whole product was birthed, but it's uh, it's mainly a running brand. It's mainly an exercise active wear product, mm. um, which you, you know, that we, we've moved beyond the, the paddling. But we still, obviously, we, we passion. I mean, I paddle this morning. I'm a passionate paddler. We paddle pretty much every three or four days mm. or three or four times a week at least. And, um, but, yeah, so it's, it's going very well internationally. We haven't, we haven't exactly smashed the ball out the park. There's an unbelievable amount of room for growth, mm. uh, especially in the, uh, in the running market yeah. internationally. And, and, you know, again, it's, uh, it, it, you spoke about finances. This is all organic growth. We haven't borrowed money. We haven't been financed by anybody. We basically just, we, we kind of just moving along quietly mm. and, um, and, and it's worked well for us, you know, especially during this time. And I think, I think really it's um, the fruits of that method of, of, uh, of business of not necessarily racing out and trying to grow too quickly mm. because uh, we haven't actually been too badly affected by the corona because we haven't borrowed money. Yeah, I find that really interesting. Um, we were chatting just before we started recording and you were saying that you haven't taken on board any external investors. Um, it's all your own money that you've put into this business, um, which is um, 
It's almost unheard of because I think so many entrepreneurs think that they can only start a business if they've got someone else's money to burn. Yeah, I, I, you know, I just think that, that this is a classic example of, you know, people are very quick to look at a, a success story and say, I want that. Mm. And the bottom line is that we never started out, you know, trying to create a, a brand of clothing. It was, it kind of happened yeah. because we, we had a problem to solve. We solved that problem or my wife did. Mm. And then, and then we, she came up with a great product and then we tested the market in paddling and then we tested it ourselves in running and we were first to market and the market liked it. And so we took the next step and the next step. And, you know, Funky Pants only became uh, our sole source of income after about 10 or 12 years of, of, of working on the product. Wow. We had other things on the go. And so I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, our business has not been one of, oh, let's create a, let's create a brand and let's look for a gap and dive in there and quite try and take it over as quickly as possible. It's just been a slow and steady growth, you know, and kind of under the radar, really. Yeah. And I think, that's, I think that's what people like as well. You know, if you see, if you're wearing funky pants and you're out for a run and you see somebody else with the funky pants, legit funky pants with the logo, people actually give each other a knowing nod yeah. type of thing because it's kind of like the Land Rover wave. Yeah. You actually are, you are part of a counterculture. You are somebody that's is maybe a risk taker. You know, you, you have the confidence just to, you know, these, these shorts. Like they, you know, why do you have to wear black pants? I mean, you know, everybody wearing black pants. Mm -hmm. You're wearing tights. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? What difference does it make if those pants have a bit of color? Knowing you, I think the key to your success is very much about creating a community and then actually engaging in that community all of the time. And, you know, your passion for surf ski paddling, your passion for the brands that you support is, um, you know, it's uh, it's tangible. You can really feel, uh, you know, your excitement about uh, about these things. And I think that same uh, excitement has kind of flowed into to this brand. And as you say, um, there there really wasn't um, there really wasn't strategy behind it. You just listened to what the market wanted, um, and it's yes. what you wanted as well. And you created, as you say, uh, a product which solved an obvious problem. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think so many entrepreneurs kind of start out being an entrepreneur because they want the freedom of being an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. They don't actually start out understanding that there is a need and then solve, <laughs> solve for that need, uh, which yeah, is obviously yeah. what you've done. I think the other thing is, is that, you know, we, um, where, where I started the, the surf ski paddling series was uh, fundamentally the success was through communication mm. and it was through direct email communication. Yeah. And um, it was, I started doing it quite by chance. I needed a way. I, I only knew two people in Cape Town and I needed to communicate with a group of people to get them to come down and paddle surf ski in the ocean. And the tool that I had available at the time, because I worked for a very progressive um, organization involved in the computer industry, they used email extensively. And at that time, I had to actually inform people how to use their email. Mm. And I got, I got the, the database the union and I phoned every single person. And most of them didn't even know that they had one or what it was. And, and, um, and once, I, once I had that list of people, I sent out a group email. You can only send out 10 at a time. And I think I had three or 400 email addresses. And um, it was amazing. People got an email from me and they actually 
they did, couldn't quite understand how how they received it because at that time people only received email through the intranet. In other words, they only received email from people within their own company. In order to communicate with the outside company, you'd have to use a fax machine. Mm. And um, and so it's it's amazing to to tell you now that that still today the most effective marketing tool that there is in the world is email. Mm. Yeah, you, but you can speak to anyone. But I, I think for those uh, who've never received an email from Billy Harker, what's so amazing is that Billy tends to send these very long emails, but you read the whole thing because it's so damn entertaining to to read it. Um, so, you know, again, I think it's just your your style. You know, your style is to be entertaining. Your style is to create something that's compelling for people, um, yeah. which I don't think you even really think about. I I think that's just the way you think. Um, yeah. but I suppose what's, what's important is that, you know, you're involved, you are the owner of the business, you're involved in actually promoting the business, you're on the ground. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's, um, that's a really good lesson. Now that you've uh, been running this business for some time, what have, what's actually been the biggest, what, you know, the biggest barrier, what's been the biggest challenge, what's, uh, something that you really had to try and solve in this, in this journey? I actually can't think of a, a barrier, to be honest. You see, our, our biggest differentiator is also our biggest challenge. So our, our single biggest differentiator is that we carry in the region, or we attempt to carry in the region of between 30 and 50 completely unique and different prints in all sizes all the time. So what this means is that uh, we have, you know, at home we have five garages which are filled with product, but they're all different. So we, we, it's impossible for us to keep stock of all the different prints all the time because they're continuously selling out because we don't make a lot of each print. And then we continuously coming up with new prints all the time. Mm. So it makes it very difficult for us to take that into the retail environment mm. because they would never take on 30 or 40 prints of the same item. Yeah. But therein lies the beauty of our, our business is that our biggest single difficulty is also our biggest single differentiator. And it allows us as a small business to exist mm. because the big guys can't do it. Yeah. They could never, they could never, you know, I, I was reading the papers, um, Edgar's has got 371 stores. I mean, to stock up 371 stores with the range of funky pants that we have, mm. they, they just would never do it. Yeah. They, would, they would never invest you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand rand in stock in three hundred and seventy-one stores on funky pants. Yeah, they're not going to do it. Are you with me? Which is why it allows us the space to exist. I mean, it actually scares me to go into, uh, you know, into a Mr. Price Sport or uh, you know Total Sports or any of these stores and look at the unbelievable garments mm. that they have in these sto- in these shops and the, and the variety of options that they have. And it just, it's actually frightening that we actually even exist. But the reason we exist is because they cannot do what we do. Mm. They, they will not. Yeah. So just on that point, I mean, do you, you selling through other retailers and you also sell through your own online store? No. So we only, we sell, uh, we are fundamentally, we are an online shop. That's yeah. our main um, our main aim in life is to be an online shop. Okay. But we do have people approaching us 
every day asking, and they're all customers, mm. all customers that wear funky pants are people that come to us and say, I want to sell your pants in Richards Bay mm. or in Tumzini or we had somebody yesterday, two people yesterday from Stellenbosch, customers saying, I love your product. I want my friends to have it. I want to be a, a, a reseller of your, of your products. Okay. And then, and they quite simply buy products at a wholesale price. We, we take the, we take the total, total gross profits divided in two and uh, they buy it at a wholesale price and then they resell at the same prices that we, at we sell online. And so we in South Africa have probably got about 15 um, people that, are, that have done this and, and the same thing around the world. They're all customers. It's amazing. Mm. Customers approach us and say, I want to sell your funky pants in my, re my region because they're not available. Yeah, and that agent network, that's not something that uh, you strategically put together. As you say, people just approached you and they said, listen, can we do this? And yeah, that's yeah, and it's a it's a very, very simple agreement. Uh, you know, I just say to people, listen here, all the stock that's in my garage, I own it. I've paid for it. Mm. If you want to take it and sell it, well, then you pay me for it. Mm. And then I'll send it to you. And then um, and then we offer a branding setup. We've got a... We've got a very, very well put together events sort of kit, which you know consists of a, a gazebo and a change room and a, a nice desktop table and a, a clever way to attach uh, hanging rails to the gazebo and the walls, the whole bang shoot. And uh, they receive the kit and, and the day their kit arrives, they can go and start to selling their stuff at, uh, at events around the country, which is, where, which is how we've done it. I mean, so if it works for us, and and it does work when they when they take it to events, people uh, people go and buy it. Yeah. So I read the other day that um, Roger Federer is uh, an investor in a Swiss running shoe company, uh, mm -hmm. and Roger Federer was saying that he's quite excited because apparently this uh, pandemic has um, increased the numbers of people who are now road running substantially in Europe. Um, and if I just have to look at the number of people who are now running on the Seapoint Promenade, I would say that seems to be something that we are also seeing now in South Africa. Um, are you seeing increased sales from runners uh, during this pandemic? Yes, you know, it's an interesting one for us. We, we have, um, you know, South Africa has been, you know, has had a tumultuous number of years and financially financially tough years, let's face it. It's been it's been hard for the market. And in uh, in lean years, running always grows exponentially. Mm. And for the last 10 years in South Africa, running has been just huge. And it's a sign of the times because it's the cheapest, most effective form of exercise. Mm. It's, uh, it costs you nothing. It costs you your shoes and it costs you your pants. And we've seen it through all the running events in South Africa. For example, last year in KwaZulu-Natal, every single road race was 100% sold out. Every single event. Wow. And, um, and so we, we haven't necessarily seen a big uptick now um, uh, for Funky Pants but through the coronavirus uh, because we've already seen that running has been, for the last 10 years, um, very, very strong and very well attended. Mm -hmm. You know, our, our, our Funky Pants... Um, people can, you know, when you're running a shorter distance and you, you're just getting started, you, you won't necessarily experience 
uncomfortable pants or rashes or anything like that. It's really, it's only when you start to push the distance a little bit mm. and when you start getting into the traditional races and then those people will start to look around and say, cheapers, you never seem to complain about your pants. And the people with funky pants say, listen here, don't, don't do yourself a favor. Just get some funky pants because they won't ride up. You won't get that rash that you won't be pulling up your pants every five minutes when you're running. And, um, yeah, I mean, running has been amazing for us, Jonathan. We, um, my wife, Tracy, has been designing a club kit. And again, our customers, I mean, a, a, an unbelievable story is the Celtic Runners Club in Cape Town. Mm. Um, you know, all these running clubs are, are run by passionate people and they're run by committees. And we all know that committees can be very, very difficult environments, especially when you're trying to change, change something. And so your biggest challenge in life is going to be to change a club's running kit. Mm. You can imagine. Anyway, so the um, the people that uh, that uh, asked Tracy to design a, a pair of pants for the Celtic runners, she came up with a stunning, it's like a green protea, green and white protea. Mm. In their, in the, if they have like a green sort of teal color and it matches the, the top beautifully. Anyway, so she made them, they fell in love with them. And then it took them 18 months to get it through wow. their system to have the club color changed. Yeah. This group of people were so passionate that they all eventually resigned from the committee saying, it's funky pants or we're leaving type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and today they, they run in funky pants. Yeah, but I think that's a huge, you know, that is an absolutely massive market because for those who are listening to this podcast from outside of South Africa, I think what you've got to understand is that running in South Africa is an institution. Uh, and the running clubs are, you know, some of them are, uh, they're heritage brands. I mean, they've been around for a very long time. Uh, Celtic Harriers, the one that you're talking about, that's one of Cape Town's, uh, most prestigious running clubs. And yeah. I think it's been around since World War II or something crazy. Yeah, um, no, no, it's been – and they haven't changed their club kit for – I don't know how long, but it's a long, long, long time. But that's totally – um, yeah, it's totally understandable because what I find is that those running clubs, as old as they are, the kit is drearily boring. I mean, it's – yeah, I don't know. Uh, our local club here is AAC, Atlantic Athletic. Yes. And yeah, I mean, AAC is a big club, but oh my goodness, their kit is less than ideal. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's super boring. So I can totally understand as to why the committee would resign because people are just not shifting towards the, the funky pants vibe because yeah, yeah, running is a cool sport, but geez, some of the people that are involved are mm, stuck in their ways. Uh, yeah. Jeez. So that, so just to, I mean, a continuation of that story, if we talk about the brand and how it's moving, uh, it's been sensational for us, the the whole club kit. Mm. Again, customers came to us, Funky Pants customers came to us, and they just said, we cannot run in the club kit that they're giving us for one more day. Yeah. And Tracy, um, I give her all the credit because she does all the design work. Um, and last year, we did 100 running clubs in South Africa. 100? 100 running wow. clubs. Two per week. That is unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, and so and then, and then obviously, so this is quite a unique scenario. Mm. Uh, in in so much as, um, look, you've got you've got the likes of of uh, the Nedbank Running Club, which is the biggest in South Africa. Yeah. 
Um, and they, their kit is uh, Nike actually does their kit. Mm. Okay, so there's some big brands involved. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, you know, so to give you an idea, in KwaZulu-Natal, in the Durban area, there are like 300 running clubs. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of running clubs. I didn't know that. I mean, if you, if you imagine that KwaZulu-Natal is 10% of the South African market, mm. you can imagine how many running clubs there are in the Western Cape, yeah. which is 20% of the market. And in, the, in you know, in Gauteng and the Free State in the north northwest, that's 75%. Yeah. There's a lot of running clubs. And um, and so we, we were we were able to, you know, uh, to develop a product that people wanted and it was recognizable by the fact that they've got a, you know, a, a logo on, on a particular place in all the pants, which stands out. Uh, and it's a simple black and white um, with an exclusion zone, mm. which makes, which makes you know, because the pants are all bright, we really had no other option other than to have a black exclusion zone zone with our with our logo in the middle of it. Yeah. But it's just worked out to be a very strong, you know, recognizable logo. And then then the 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 club runners who ran in funky pants casually are now going to their to their you know committees and saying, listen here, we want funky pants to make our club kit. Yeah. So it's a huge I mean, it's a huge accolade for us. We we feel so honoured that these people are actually coming to this small mom and pop story in the corner, saying that they want their whole club to run in our pants. And there's only one reason they want to run in the pants, Jonathan. It's because they're comfortable. Yeah. Well, because they're comfortable, but they're also cool, exactly as you say. You know, there is there's a brand behind it. Uh, the the product itself is they look remarkable so that is the brand i think what's interesting for me is that you lightly touched on another big name in the industry being nike and what's yeah. uh, what i find so inspiring is that you are in many ways going up against the likes of nike and adidas and puma and these massive international conglomerates and you're a husband and wife team out of Durban who are <laughs> kind of owning these big guys just because the community is behind your product. Um, yeah. And that's, that's unbelievable. I, yeah. I really do hope that uh, the story kind of goes further because I think at the moment people in South Africa are super negative. Um, understandably, maybe, because there's just a lot going on. People just don't know... You know, they don't know what the future looks like. It's so yeah. uncertain. Um, but I think what's what I find so inspiring is that there are entrepreneurs like you um, who are creating brands. And I think that's the big thing is that you're creating a brand. You're not just um, trying to sell a commodity onto people. You are finding something which is unique, a unique product, and then proudly putting a, a brand on it and making sure that you, you build the community as you grow. Um, yeah. which I think is really inspirational. I, and I really hope that people get, um, I, I hope they get that. I hope they get the lesson. I, <laughs> I um, yeah, because I just think it's a, a phenomenal story. Jonathan, I think that, I think that you, you're touching on the community and, and I agree 100%. You know, we, we're a, a uni, in a very unique situation in that we had, I was already involved in creating uh, a community with, through organising surfski paddling races, um, because that's why because I enjoyed doing it and and it worked and then it became my job, 
and then along the road, you know, we had suddenly had a family and I needed to basically get more people down to the to the beach. And we, we came up with a with a running series. So we had a, a running race before the paddling race. And and that went really well. We called that the Sunrise Run Series. And um, and we very quickly, you know, because there's so many runners, cheapers, all of a sudden our running database quickly doubled and tripled the size of the paddling database. Mm. And so be, you know, whilst we, we, and we weren't pushing the funky pants hard at this time. It was, at that time, it was, a, it was all about the event. In fact, even when I was running those Sunrise Run Series races, we didn't even have funky pants at that time. We had them as paddling shorts, but they weren't yet, they weren't yet used by runners. And, um, and so I was in a unique position in that I already had a very significant number of people whose email address I had and whose telephone number I, I have from from organizing the races mm. and and I still organize races for fun. I'll come up with an idea and then I'll, you know, I'll roll it out and get people to come down. But a lot of that's based about on, on me now. I do it a lot for just when I see when I see something then I do something and I enjoy it. I want to share that experience because because of because of negative sentiments. Also the other big thing you talk about email. What I've come to believe is that you know one can't send email to people unless you're adding value to their life. Mm. I get a lot of email from brands mm. and I simply do not read it because I don't need anything from them at that time. So if they were to just stop and think, what can I, how can I serve my customer something via email, mm. which is actually going to help the guy, you, you know what I mean? As opposed to just sending email with the intent of, on selling something. Mm. And so I communicate with these people whose email address I have, and I always make sure that the emails are personal, but I only ever send an email if I, in my heart, believe that I'm offering them something of value. And, you know, for my part, it's mainly um, information around events. And, yes, we do attach our brand to it, but my intent is to actually do something which is going to add value. Yeah. Which I think is a large, um, which is a large reason why your original Surfski series was so successful. Because I think the amount of energy that you put into those races and just the the community um, and just the small touches that I think you brought into that Sunday morning activity uh, yeah. was phenomenal. Um, you know, you you spoke about the little prizes that. Um, you know, which was the the start of the Funky Pants business itself. I think that's one thing that, uh, you know, you were really great at doing is that when there was prize giving, it was prizes which were worth something. It was really great. And everybody seemed to get a prize. Um, so, yeah, in addition to that, I think what was really great is uh, you got people out of their comfort zone. Because before you started the Surski series, the idea of actually paddling offshore in a little fiberglass uh, canoe for many people was pretty damn scary. But um, yeah. in some of those races, you had 500 people in boats who were, you know, largely the back enders were complete novices. Uh, paddling in the ocean uh, it was just <laughs> it was crazy but uh such an amazing vibe you know it just felt like a party on the water if, every weekend uh, yeah. and as you say it's those small touches where you really add value to someone's experience not because you're wanting to make money out of it but because you're actually wanting to create something that's cool and because of that people come back every week uh, yeah 
And yeah, I mean, I miss that series beyond, and that was 20 years ago now. Uh, yeah. So Billy, where, where to from here? What's, what's the future of funky pants? What's your, what's your vision? Where are you going? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Obviously it's a, it's a incredibly tricky time for us because our, our whole modus operandi has been thrown up in the air because, uh, effectively we, uh, how we marketed this product was on the ground at events where our specific customers were being active. And so we, uh, ourselves as Funky Pants, you know, I can, let's call us Funky Pants Durban. We are, we are the, the brand, but we, you know, we, we do all the activations in Durban. So we would, you know, if I look at my wall, we would do a minimum of two, sometimes four events in a month, mm. every month. And then we would also do stuff a week. And then we would also create events. And then we would also travel internationally twice a year. And um, that's just us. So we have a chap in Neisner. Uh, he does the same. He does 35 events a year. We have people in Cape Town. They're doing 20, 30 events a year. In Pumalanga, Johannesburg, Pretoria, you name it. All these people are taking our products to market. Mm. And all of a sudden, obviously, there, there are no events. So it, um, there's two things. Um, again, we are incredibly fortunate in that we, we work from home. So we don't have any overheads. And um, we also have this unbelievable communication tool at our disposal because I've been passionate about making sure that we correctly collect people's uh, you know, information so we can communicate with them when and if we need to. So we've got a very strong communication tool available to us, um, which, we, which we, we, you know, we try to use you know, as little as possible, and we always try to add value, but we are able to at least communicate with the people. Um, you know, you think of a retail shop, but they can't even communicate with their customers. Mm. They haven't recorded their information. Yeah. So that's one big thing. Um, I will say that uh, what's also happened is that it's actually um, given us an opportunity to focus on our online business. You know, up until now, I've never done any hard push uh, work uh, on our adv uh, you know, advertising on Facebook and Instagram and stuff, it's always only been uh, focused solely on brand building, which has, I think, been incredibly valuable for us. But so we are now sort of turning our hand at thinking about, you know, actually running adverts, which we've never done before. Mm. We actually are actively looking at ways of um, of trying to gather more emails. emails and uh, what I did is I actually did an online, how it happened, uh, we run our, our website on a, a platform called Shopify, which is a Facebook, you know, shopping tool. And um, during lockdown, they held their first international conference. Now, they have, I think it's 5.2 million shops on their platform, Canadian uh, organization. Mm. And they, they staged their first online, um, you know, talk to our customers symposium type of thing. Anyway, so I sat down, I had everything all organized. I was one of 15 or 20,000 people that were, were watching, and I was absolutely blown away. The guy, the owner, the CEO, I can't remember what the chap's name was, sitting in Canada. There he comes on the screen. He's in his lounge wearing a plain white T-shirt. Mm. The, oak, the oak had barely taken the time to comb his hair, and <laughs> I promise you, and he says, uh, hey, welcome to our first symposium. I hope that you, you can hear me clearly like that. I mean, he's literally sitting in front of his computer mm. 
in his lounge mm. and he started Shopify and he's got 5.2 million shops. He says, I'm not going to keep you, but I'm going to pass you over to our, our technical guy, James, who's in somewhere in the States. Over to you, James. James comes on, skinny, without being facetious or rude or whatever, classic nerd in his garage looking at his computer. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, this is unbelievable that we, we actually, all over the world, we're in the same boat. Mm. You know, these guys, massive conglomerates sitting in the garage addressing 15,000 people on like a Zoom call type of thing. Yeah. Anyway, so one of the things that they, they brought up was that they they'd created an email course and I should go do the course. So I thought, how, how can these fools tell me about email? I've been writing email for 25 years. Yeah. Now I'm just going to go and learn something from these people. Anyway, I did the course and wow, I encourage anybody who is writing emails, Google the Shopify email course. It was unbelievable wow. and uh and i did it during lockdown and then i've uh i've introduced a lot of the ideas that they that they revealed to us and you spoke earlier about writing long emails you'll find now that my emails have got a lot shorter <laughs> and um uh, you know a lot more clearer call to actions yeah. and again so i've been forced to change i've had to change my my routine because i i don't have a long story to tell to be quite honest because, you know, when you've been at home for five weeks, I can't start telling people stories about my kids playing in the pool yeah. again or skateboarding. It's not interested, you know. So anyway, that was that was it was an amazing course. If there's anybody who writes email um, uh, for a living, I suggest you go and do the course really well put together. Some great ideas, which I've now implemented. I mean, I can tell you one of them. It was amazing. They basically said, listen here. Your website will have abandoned carts, people that have shopped and left stuff stuff in the cart. Mm. And then they, they spoke to you about how to go about, you know, sending those people an email. Our, Shopify is so clever. It was doing it for me anyway. Mm. But I, I, I hadn't really paid it much thought. So I did go back in and I rewrote the abandoned cart. So if I get 50 abandoned carts a day um, through this, I actually get, I get a 25% shop because i send them it's called an abandoned cart email yeah two days later it generates an automated email to the customer say hey john i see you've left some you know some kit in your cart click here to complete your order otherwise click here to go back to the shop mm. and and just from that i get 25 percent of those people buy yeah i i was involved in a similar project with yuppie chef uh we looked at the abandoned carts and actually the reason that people abandon sometimes is for like really odd and stupid silly little things yeah um, and what we actually did is we phoned up those customers that had an abandoned cart just to find out what went wrong um, yeah and the amount of money that we actually saved or was able to uh bring back online because we just made a simple phone call was astronomical Huge. Um, so it's um yeah, it's those little things that you just think, ah, you know, it's um you know, people became uninterested. Actually maybe they just they didn't get their one time pin from the bank or something silly like that. Yeah, it's just like ah, it didn't happen quick enough or Yeah. But I think I think the key thing you know, the key thing about this whole thing, you know, especially with writing email, um, for me what I'm very passionate about in writing email is 
to always keep top of mind that you are communicating person to person, heart to heart. And and I think a lot of people are are quick to not realize that email is an incredibly personal mm. form of communication and you need to know that when you're writing email. Yeah. The person can't see your face, they can't see your expression, they can't feel how you're feeling. They can only read what you say. And so just you've got to be gentle and, you, and you've got to know that you're talking to individuals. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 it blows my mind that people will still send me an email and say, hi there, folks. I'm like, what do you mean, folks? I'm alone in front of the computer and you're giving me hi there, folks. Yeah. You know, open up, open up with that. I'm lost to you already. Yeah, but I think what is so interesting is that in so many companies, and I've worked in and for many of them, uh, marketing and communication is something which is uh, given to a department. And generally, like junior employees are given the, the job of doing marketing. And when yeah. times are tough, it's the first thing that people cancel. It's the first yeah. thing that is done away with. Uh, unlike you, who's the leader of this organization, or you and your wife are the founders and, and owners of this organization, you do the marketing yourself. You take personal responsibility for it. And not only yeah. that, during lockdown, you're not cutting back on marketing. You're actually spending time on trying to improve uh, the marketing that you already do. Yeah. Um, which I think, again, is just a really important lesson for so many businesses because marketing is the business it's not something which is a luxury uh it's what you do it's how you build the brand um yeah and i i think that's um if, if that's something that people take away i think that would be a, a great lesson it was also interesting for me during that time jonathan because i um i sort of said to tracy well, what do we do you know do we do we just sit or do we do we spend money mm. and um we kind of both agreed that we need to we need to find a way that we can not add any any more negative thoughts. And so we, what we did is we, we came up with a, a little campaign where we uh, we got hold of a chap by the name of Luke Quilliers, a Durban chap who was doing some really fun stuff with, you know, where you take a lot of photographs. I think it's called Stop Gap. I don't know what it's called or how he does it, mm. but he will literally take multiple photographs. Stop so motion. it looks like stop motion. Yeah. yeah. So it looks like he's floating. Yeah. And. Um, and uh, he was unemployed, so we paid him some money and we got him to make a whole series of, of stop-motion fun, you know, fun things just, just to try to add some value and bring something light mm. into what was a very, very dark and frustrating time for people stuck at home. And, and we, we had sensational success, you know, in, in, our, in our world is sensational success. Mm. I mean, the one, the one little 30-second clip, I think it had – Organic seventy five thousand views, which 75, for us is seventy five thousand views. That's a lot. It was even for big. Yes, time. it was. Geez, that was it was amazing, mm. and um, didn't cost a lot of money. You know, we spent five thousand rand on five videos, uh, so it's not big money. Yeah, you know, but but um, it's obviously it's money for us, and and uh, yeah, it was it, it was a. I think it, it was it felt good that we. We just did something positive, mm. you know, and sure, it built the brand, but our, our output was, was how do we, you know, how do we make light, not, not, not make light of the situation, but how do we actually just try to lift the spirits? Mm. Yeah, exactly. I, but um, 
Yeah, it's a choice. And I think that's the, the, the cool thing is that you made a choice to do something positive, to use the time positively, not to add to, you know, what seems to be an epidemic of fear and negativity that's going around. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't need to add to it. You can, you can use the opportunity to think a little bit differently. Yeah. Okay, Billy, thanks so much. I think this was a really interesting chat. So just tell us if we if we want to get hold of you or we want to go and shop the, the Funky Pants store, give us your details. How do we how do we do that? Okay, so our shop Funky Pants, www.funkypants.co.za. And uh, yeah, we if you're in Durban, we're at Fort Glenmore Crescent in Durban North. But your best bet is to shop on Funky Pants. And something that we've just introduced uh, is a choose your size option. So it's far easier to go top line on the website and select choose your size because then you will only be shown what we have available in your size. Because mm. we might have 50 or 60 or 70 or 100 prints available, but we may only have 35 in men's medium, for example. Mm. So that's the best way to shop Funky Pants. Okay, and if we want to sign up for these brand new emails that you are... Um sweating over every single day is uh, is there an easy sign up on on the website yeah so actually as part of our email course um i came across a, a very clever app that's called just uno and basically what it uh, what will be presented to you if you are new to the website only people that are coming for the first time will will, uh, will be able to click a spin to win so as you've been on the site for 10 seconds or so a little spin to win option will come up where you can spin the wheel but in order to spin the wheel you have to actually give your email address so okay. that's how we've been collecting the email so it'll come up a, it'll pop up with a spin to win and then you can win yourself either you know 5 10 15 20 percent or a free pair or whatever but uh you just put your pop your email in there okay stunning Billy Harker, thank you so much. So it's uh, funkypants.co.za. Go and have a look. Um, otherwise, thank you so much for your time and for your story and uh, the inspiration. Um, yeah, I I really do hope that uh, you have many more successes in the future because I think, um, yeah, I think South African brands need to be showcased more and especially the smaller ones that are making a big difference. And I think quietly... Over in Durban North, there are some interesting things going on uh, in the sports apparel uh, section of of <laughs> our industry. So, so well done, and and thanks again, Jonathan. Thanks so much for the time. It's been great. Enjoyed it immensely. For listening to Heroes of Futurism. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing and we'll see you next time. Cheers.